afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. Gonna be joined in momentarily by Governor Doug Burgum. You can call in with your comments or questions, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can send me tweets as well. Governor Burgum, uh, welcome to the program. We already have a caller lined up for you. We'll get to him in just a moment. But uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. Uh, beautiful day in North Dakota, and great to be on the air with you. Yeah, glad to hear it. We're uh, easing into that nice spring weather, which is always uh, such a relief. That's what I always say about North Dakota. I think other states that don't have our, our hard winters, they don't fully appreciate the spring and the summer weather. I, I think that's the, the good of the winter is it makes us appreciate the nice weather when it rolls around. Anyway, uh, I didn't bring you on. I didn't bring you on to talk about the weather. Um, we'll get to we'll get to the caller, John, in just a moment. I wanted to ask you first, though, about property taxes. Legislative sessions winding down. In past sessions, what the legislature has done to address the property tax issue is that we've essentially transferred local spending into the state budget by taking over a greater share of education funding. Also, we've been doing these twelve percent buy downs. That was easy to do when the state was running big budget surpluses. Now, obviously, different matter, different fiscal outlook. Um, your budget, when, when you came in, you made some tweaks to Governor Dalrymple's uh, executive budget. Uh, your recommendation was to replace the 12% buy-down with the state taking over social services. But it looks like the legislature is going to delay taking over social services, and there's a lot of question about whether or not that 12% buy-down is going to happen uh can north dakotans i mean are, are we going to get a property tax increase because it seems to me if we don't do that 12 percent buy down that's going to be the response at the local level well it's a uh, legislature is not it's not over till it's over as you know and uh, this is one of the one of the important uh bills that will probably be decided in the last uh, in the final days and it could be a you know swing from uh, anywhere from you know, zero to three hundred million dollar swing, but more likely it's going to be uh, the options may be narrowed between one hundred and seventy five and two seventy five. But you know, there's yeah, there's some big dollars that are riding on this thing, and and uh, we'll have to see how it all gets all sorted out. Do you think property taxes? If 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 we don't if we don't do and and like you said, I mean, we're we're not at the end yet. There's a lot of things that can happen very quickly at the end of the session. But if we don't do uh, the takeover of social services, and we don't do the 12% buy-down, does that mean property taxes go up? I, I know that that's that's a, a local decision, but I, to me that, that seems like a pretty pretty obvious cause-and-effect relationship. Well, I mean, if we have to look at the through this whole boom and where the state's gone, I mean, property taxes have come down uh, in many parts of the state because it's all, you know, they're locally set, uh, so you can't, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer here, but property taxes have come down. Uh, part in part because the state's taken on such a huge percentage of the uh, K through 12 funding, and I think we're at you know high 70s, getting close to 80 percent of local funding. Uh, in many cases, through the formula is taken care of by the state. Then there was this 300 million dollars as part of the the, the 12 percent property tax buy down that was just a, essentially a blank check, uh, uh, call it a, a grant, uh, which which I have said before, I felt was basically subsidizing local spend because in some cases that that money never reached the end, uh, the end property owner that was paying the tax because some of it got absorbed by increased spending on other items. Uh, you know, it may have shown up on your tax form that you got a, a 
12% buy down, but if you know it built new new schools and new facilities and do anything, if there's more spending, and then the the actual the dollars uh, you may have gotten 12% off a, a number that was higher than it might have been if the money hadn't come in through. So I think you know the real way to drive property taxes down is for us to build more efficient communities, and I think the the numbers that we have to start looking at is not what is you know what is the what is how much we pay in property taxes. We have to start looking at cities with metrics like how much public dollars do we spend for every dollar of private investment do we generate? And you know, some would say if you wanted to have a really healthy city, you better have $20 of private spending for every dollar of public. And, uh, well, we don't have the, the metrics put together. When we do dashboards uh, for, you know, for every uh, community in the state, which is our intention, or at least for, the, for, the, for all the cities of uh, above a certain size, we'll do that. And we'll try to get some metrics around that, but I think we're way below that ratio in many uh, in many of our North Dakota cities, and that's what's really driving the property taxes up is we've got too much public infrastructure relative to how much private investment we have. 701-293-9000, John, you're up with the governor. What's up? Good afternoon, Governor. You know, the thing that concerns me the most is that with the current legislature is this, uh, and evidently it hasn't, made it to your desk is this uh i, I believe it's 2139 the uh where the legislators want right to carry in public places you know as well as basically the capitol building now I, I don't get me wrong i understand their concern about being able to carry into the capitol into the chambers you know to the voting floor whatever but i think they're overstepping when they're my right to carry in a public place is infringed upon by the way the law is written in the state of North Dakota, you know, as pertains to, like, school property, for instance. I'm in violation if I go to pick up my granddaughter at school and I have the gun in my car. Am I incorrect in thinking this way, Governor? Uh, well, there's – I was uh, trying to track the first part of your question there, John, on the uh, legislator's right to carry. That bill has not uh, hit my desk uh, and so I'm trying to uh, check and see if that one is still alive. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, in. Uh, I, I I actually just looked it up in the bill tracking system. It's in. Uh, it's in a conference committee. The Senate refused to concur with the House versions of the bill. So the the two chambers are hammering on that one right now. Thank you, Rob, for and, and I have real time answer letters to my representatives. You know, over here where I live. But I, I ask you, as governor, that maybe you should address this possibly with the legislature before they. Uh, complete another draft because honestly you know my second amendment rights are, are infringed upon i understand the need for judges i understand the need for law enforcement you know uh, law enforcement being trained personnel to be allowed to carry into certain areas that i'm not but i just feel that the legislature is not looking at this you know across a level playing field when they're going to grant looking at granting themselves a right that i'm not entitled to in any manner Yep, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, and I'll take a look. All right, we're uh, going to keep going. We got another caller here, Kathy. You're up with the governor. What's up? Hi, just wondering where we are on the state employees paying five percent of their health care, um, and just wondering if you're essentially, I mean, giving them a pay cut since you don't plan on increasing their pay for two years, and then also, what bill is that so we can follow it? All right, uh, Governor. I, I, I guess I'll I'll try to look up the bill number here. I don't remember off the top of my head, but but your response to her uh, question. Yeah, no, ha- happy to. Uh, yeah, and the the, the question uh, from Kathy was uh, about asking that 
state employees pay a portion of their health care benefits. Uh, the proposal that I had put out was uh, 5%. That currently is not alive, and I don't even know if it's part of any bill. It is. But I made the suggestion because I think we need to have, you know, health care costs are one of the big drivers in our whole nation. I mean, we can't, in the last six weeks, the whole nation's been focused on rising health care costs. And when we take a, a big chunk of of employees, which is, you know, state employees, university employees, and they pay uh, nothing for their health care costs, uh, then uh, I've, you know, seen this happen in the private sector where, you know, people aren't engaged in, in uh, if they have a free good or if they have a free free right, that if everything's free, then why even look at the bill? And I think having engaged citizens that know how to think about how they pay for and price their health care is, is, uh, is important. And, you know, City of Fargo, the City of Fargo employees, those are those are government employees. They pay 30 percent. City of Fargo pays 40 percent or pays 70 percent of the health care bill. The employee pays 30 percent. And City of Fargo has been able to attract and retain great people. I know one of the argument was if people had to pay for part of the health care, you wouldn't be able to get good employees. I I know in the private sector, a lot of companies I've worked with, it's 80-20. The company pays 80. The employee pays 20. You attract great talent. So I don't think I think that argument doesn't hold. We can get great people to work for North Dakota that pay for part of their 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 health care. Your second part was asking during a time of no raise. Well, of course, we've got a lot of things where where things are going backwards, where we're making budget cuts. We held uh, state employees uh, even. Uh, without an increase, but the health care costs are going up 8% this, in this first year, the biennium, 8% in the second year. That's 17% compounded increase. The state's paying 100% of that. So asking employees to pay 5% would have been asking them to participate uh, in paying for part of the increase. So effectively, the state employees would still be getting paid more than they would have even without a raise because uh, the state's going to spend uh, uh, close to $10 million more on on the increase in health care costs. So it's a, you know, of course it would be easier to swallow for people if it was a time when we were, like in recent years, when we were giving out pay raises, but it's really about the principle, which is, uh, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather pay employees more and have them cost share on their health care to help keep those costs down uh, than have free health care and lower salaries. So it's, you know, compensation in the end is, is a combination of all those factors, and we want to have... Uh, we want to have a great place to work for state employees and make it attractive to work here. But if I had my druthers, I would, I would shift it around or shift it around a little bit towards, you know, higher salaries, but uh, participation on the health care than lower salaries and 100% paid health care. We have a uh, uh, question from uh, listener Mike. Uh, I'd be curious what he has to say about the homeless shelter funding being part of the pool funds uh, versus having the dollars earmarked. And I think that's something they did in the House Appropriations Committee where they took a number of grants and include them, including homeless funds, uh, and instead of making them mandatory, instead put them in a discretionary line item. Uh, your your thoughts on that? Certainly something that's that sparked a lot of cr- uh, talk ra- across the state. Well, I, I think uh, in general when uh, the legislature gives more discretion to agencies, uh, that can be a positive thing because then you've got, you know, if it's, you know, if it's if it's discretion to game and fish, then game and fish could make a decision based on science versus based on politics. In this case, if you take a bunch of small pool funds and put them into a larger pool, uh, and and let people sort of say, hey, what are the highest needs and the highest priorities, uh, they can they can do that. Just because they're giving flexibility to the agency doesn't mean that anyone is is uh, deprioritizing the needs of the homeless. 
some of these things are just administrative changes that I think allows for more effective and more efficient uh, government. And uh, and we've uh, you know we'll, you'll have a chance to uh, you know talk directly to the agencies about if people have concerns that we're not spending enough on a certain category versus. And you can do that you know five days a week all year long as opposed to talk to a legislator when they're in session. So I, I think it's uh, you know it's great that people have concerns about those that are most needy, and we want to make sure we take care of them in a holistic way. But uh, giving agencies the flexibility to spend money efficiently is a, a good thing for 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 delivering efficient government. Governor, what do you have your eyes on as as the session comes to an end? I mean, what's what's at the top of your list that you're really tracking as as we come down to uh, signy die? Well, I, I think uh, if you think about you know, significant legislation that's working its way through uh, the the changes that were being made across, uh, you know, behavioral health and corrections, I think is a big policy shift. And this is a, you know, it's $7 million moving more upstream to try to address uh, addiction and addiction issues uh, in a more cost-effective manner, you know, this idea that we can't, can't solve addiction by putting people in prison. And so we're, and that's been a, you know, it's a, Bipartisan effort. It started long before I got in office with some interim committees. There's a general shift in society that's understanding that the quote war on drugs we've been conducting for the last 30 years isn't working, and and so between the you know judicial and corrections and health and human services and uh, lots of different folks uh, at state are making some progress there, and then we have to go get to work on this big issue with local governments and universities and high schools and faith-based organizations because this is a there's a huge cost to society that shows up in a lot of different budgets when we're not when we're not addressing uh, behavioral health and addiction and I'm excited that we're beginning to see a change in in how we think about it and this is the beginning this is a small little beginning in in moving dollars uh, to a place that's more more efficient cuz it costs us $41,000 a year to incarcerate someone uh, and for a fraction of that, we could be, you know, have them in a treatment program. Last question here. We had a, a, a bill that was voted on in the House yesterday that looks at mineral rights under Lake Sakakawea. Uh, a lot of people saying that the state was attempting a land grab by sort of expanding what minerals belong to the state. Uh, the legislation, as, it, as it's written now, you know, looks to sort of limit the state's mineral rights to the sort of that historic river channel under Lake Sakakawea before that, that land was flooded. Any thoughts on that issue? I mean, how, how did you feel about how the state was handling that before you came into office? Well, this is, a, uh, this is another one that's, uh, a, you know, an important uh, issue of trying to, you know, balance uh, what's the sort of the constitutional duty of the state versus the, you know, the foundational element of private property rights. And uh, there, as you know, there I mean, you know this topic, Rob. There have been lawsuits already. There'll probably be more in, uh, down the road. But I'm hoping that as the legislation, uh, uh, you know, comes forward, that we can, uh, I don't say maybe achieve some finality around the debate, because part of the debate has been uh, about the not just the, the the course of the river, but the you know the, the historical high water mark, which is the uh, the part that would you'd say that you know anything under. A navigable river belongs to the state, anything that's not. But then you get in, when you have rivers that move, uh, the rivers themselves are either accreting or uh, or taking property from landowners on either side of that river. Just like when Devil's Lake gets bigger, uh, the state has more, the, you know, the, the legal, the body of legal uh, work in our country would, has 
said, for, right or, for better or for worse, that when Devil's Lake gets bigger, uh, the land that's under that water belongs to the state, and when it gets smaller, it goes back to the adjacent landowners. And so, you know, trying to figure it out for a lake that gets larger and smaller is one thing. For a river that moves through a, a course in a meandering way, I've looked at some of the historical documents of where the Missouri River was at statehood, where it was, uh, you know, in the 1950s, you know, uh, you know, and substantial, you know, movements, you know, over those, uh, you know, relative geological time, relative short periods of time. So this is maybe you call this thing a lawyer's dream uh, because you've got existing water law and then you've got historical records and trying to get uh, at least under the area where the lake is flooded, get to a point of finality of saying this definitively is where it is. Yeah. And then you're then you're into the you got tribal lands, you got federal lands, you got state lands, you got private lands. So this is as complex as anything that I've seen since I, I uh, uh, got into office, and we'll see if uh, if the legislation, you know, takes uh, some of the complexity out of it and where, where it goes. I hope it does. There's nothing so complex as, as water issues. Uh, Governor, thank you so much for your time. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. That's Governor Doug Burgum. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY. Email talk at WDAY.com. Call in 701-293-9000, Short segment here because we went a little long with the uh, the governor, but I wanted to get all the questions in. A lot of moving parts right now because we're at the end of the legislative session and just about anything can happen. As a matter of fact, I think they had set a goal to be done after 70 days, and I think that's, I think that's Friday next week. So, you know... And things can happen very quickly. Issues can that, that you thought were dead can come back. Uh, issues you thought were a certainty can die on the vine. So a lot of moving parts, a lot going on. I think this property tax issue, and I wrote a post about this on sayanythingblog.com, I think Democrats are right. They've, they're, they're raising some concerns about property taxes going up. I, I kind of think that's the dirty little secret, right? Everybody's been saying, well, we got to hold the line on, on taxes. we got to hold the line on spending. But the state has tied local property taxes to state spending. And so if we cut that spending or we fail to fund some of the property tax relief that we have done in the past, property taxes are going to go up. Pretty interesting topic. More to come straight ahead. Like I said, short segment. This is The Rob Report on 970 WDA. Why? We'll be back right after this. I'll go away. Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, 701 293 9000, 888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-970-9329-888-
This is shaping up to be one of the largest property tax increases that people are ever going to be able to remember in history. Everyone is taking pledges saying we won't raise any taxes and we won't do this. But really what that just means is they're going to shove it all back down on the local level. Well, you heard me talk to Governor Doug Burgum about that. And I, I, I think I think for years, people like me have been complaining about the way the state is going about the property tax issue. Because the problem is they have been trying to reduce property taxes by essentially buying down local spending or i guess maybe buying buying it up into the state budget we did that through we we've done it in a lot of different ways i i think the very first thing they tried way back in like the 2007 session was uh, i think we did like we did like income tax rebates for property taxes that didn't work out very well it was very confusing it's kind of a flop um and then after that we started doing the buy downs and then the buy downs part of it became permanent because we took over a big chunk of K-12 through spending. And the thing about it is, is that the burdens for that spending, none of it went away, right? We're, we're trying to lower local taxes by increasing state spending. That's what they did. And so right now, what we have is we have a, a part of it. Obviously, the, the K-12 through spending, that's not going anywhere. That's, you know, there's going to be no cuts to K-12 through funding. That's backstopped by the... Um, foundation aid stabilization fund which is basically a sort of a rainy day fund the state has strictly for education so that's that is what it is um at issue is a is the 12 percent property tax buy down and it's 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 really sort of amazing because it was a shell game all along i mean back Back when the legislature, because, I mean, it was this huge political football, right? The local people were, were screaming about property taxes. And so the state, rather than saying, listen, your your local taxes are a local issue. They are driven by local spending. It's really not a state issue. Nobody was willing to accept that argument. So instead, what the state did is we tried to buy down property taxes. And that was a very politically expedient thing to do back when the state had huge budget surpluses. Right. I mean, when the state had a billion dollar budget surplus, even even hundreds of millions of dollars in budget surpluses, it was very easy to say, well, we're going to spend, you know, we're going to send 300, 400 million or something down to the local level and buy down property taxes. The spending didn't go away. They just hit it in the oil boom surpluses. They hit it. It's an easy thing to do. Political expedience. Except now those budget surpluses are gone. They've dried up. Crop prices are down. Oil prices are down. We don't have those surpluses anymore. And so now what's happened is all of that local spending, and I mean all of it, the 12% buy down, the K-12 through spending, because the level has dropped of the surpluses, right? Think of it, think of it, think of the the local spending that the state was buying up. Think of it like rocks, right? And we didn't know what to do with these rocks because the rocks were a problem. And so what the legislature did is they had this big pool of surplus money and they started throwing the rocks into the pool, right? Except now the revenue's gone. The level of the water is draining out of the pool. It's gone. 
And what can we see again? What never actually went away? The rocks. They're poking their heads out again. That's what that that was essentially property. That that is my metaphor. How do you like that metaphor, Natil? My my metaphor for the way we've been approaching property taxes. Not a bad metaphor. That's why I make the big bucks. <laughs> why I make the medium sized bucks. I don't know. <laughs> but listen, I mean, now that the water's gone down, the rocks are there, and we got to do something about it. Uh, and there's really not anything we can do in the short term. Now, Governor Burgum, he's talking about that we may need to, to make more efficient communities, and that's obviously something of a hobby horse of his. He believes in he believes that because of the way we've done development at the local level, we have increased local spending, right? We, we do these, these developments that are very spread out. They're not very dense. That creates a lot of extra expense for fire protection, police protection, snow plows, garbage, all that kind of stuff. And school districts, and it makes sense. I mean, what he says makes sense, but that's not going to change overnight. And a lot of these developments, I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to go bulldoze the new developments and then force everybody to move into denser developments? That's not going to happen. So I think Governor Burgum has the right idea long term. And we can have a debate over how that should be implemented. But I, I think he's got the right idea. We need to hold down the cost at the local level. But that's not going to happen in the next two weeks. So what do we do in the short term? And the short term is, I don't know. Now, Governor Burgum's idea of property taxes, we were going to take, and instead of doing the 12% buy-down, we were going to move social services spending into the state budget. Right now, that's run by the counties, but it's kind of silly that the counties are paying for it because they don't have any control over the policy. It's essentially a, it's essentially a state, uh, unfunded state and federal mandate that we put on the counties, and the counties turn around and levy taxes to pay for it. And so it makes sense to move that back into the state budget. And I guess that would offset the the, the 12% buy-down. We essentially make the 12% buy-down permanent by buying up social services spending, which is probably just more of the same of what I've been talking about, but it's a permanent change, and it probably makes sense. It's probably good policy. But the thing is, the legislature put that off. They've delayed that. They're not going to, it doesn't sound, unless something changes towards the end of the session here, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen this session. Maybe next session. They're going to study it. That's the status of the bill as it stands today. And they also may not do the 12% buy-down either. So they don't do the 12% buy-down and they don't do the social social services takeover. What's going to happen? What's going to have to happen is your property taxes are going to go up. And I don't know, I don't know how sad, I mean, it seems like people are forever upset about property taxes in North Dakota. Nobody likes paying them. They're, they are a perennial issue. Now, I, I, I think the governor's right that the education buy down has actually resulted in some level of property tax relief, but that probably varies from place to place because a lot of communities have responded to all these property tax buy downs. By backfilling in more spending, right? You know, they sort of look at it as as taxing capacity. If the state tape buys up a bunch of spending, well, now they've got more capacity, more bandwidth to backfill in more spending at the local level. How much how much of property tax relief have North Dakotans received? It depends on where you live. And probably most people have gotten some. 
Probably not as much as they'd like. But what's interesting, getting back to the question of property tax relief, Governor Doug Burgum campaigned on not raising taxes. And at the state level, that's probably going to come true. We're not probably going to raise taxes at the statewide level. But we are probably, unless the trajectory changes on some of this legislation that's working its way down in Bismarck right now, unless something changes on that trajectory, we're probably going to get property tax increases. We'll wrap the show up after this. Love to hear what you think about that. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. This is the Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can send me tweets at Rob Port. You know, we have, um, the other thing I asked Governor Bergham about earlier in the show was the, the issue about homeless shelters. There's been a lot of, of consternation about that. I, I think it's been unfortunate because a lot of it's being driven by you know partisanship. We get Democrats like to pull stunts every legislative session. Republicans do it too, where you know it's oh you know yeah we hate you know remember, remember it was like uh, a few sessions ago it was like Republicans hate giving little kids milk or something. So now it's the homeless shelter thing. Um, we've got a former statewide Democratic candidate, April Fairfield, out now works for one of the homeless organizations is out. Uh, whipping things up, but what they're upset about is that the the homeless grant funding was essentially moved from you know a, a mandatory line item in the budget. It was lumped in with a bunch of other grants and then moved to a discretionary line item. And I think a lot of people are concluding from that, oh well, there's going to be a cut, and I, there very well could be. It's discretionary. I mean, by by definition, that means not mandatory, meaning it might not happen. The The problem, though, is that I do think we need to get to this sort of flexibility. Now, this is something Governor Bergam has talked about, wanting more flexibility uh, in state agencies. I mean, we have a part-time legislature that meets for no more than 80 days every two years to budget for a two-year cycle. Right? I mean, they, they've got a, they've got a budget for the next two years. Now, given how, you know, we have a commodity-based economy, we have oil, we have agriculture, it goes up and down, it's 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 difficult to pull that off. So I guess I guess the issue is why not give the executive branch some flexibility, which is to say, why not try to find some line items where our state agencies have the ability to assess actual needs and if they feel like all the needs are 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 met maybe they can move some of that money around maybe they could get a little bit creative with some of it that's not such a bad thing now what it does is it asks the legislature to give up some of their power to the purse right the legislature that is their power i mean they're a separate co-equal branch of government and their power most of it resides in the fact that they write the budgets 
So I don't know. I I I think I think what the legislature is doing with the homeless grants and, and the other line items there is they're essentially saying these are things where we're going to give the executive branch some discretion. And it'll be up to them to make a decision on how that stuff's going to be funded. I think that's a good thing. Will we need the entire homeless grant? I, I guess I don't know. We might. But if we don't, wouldn't it be nice if, if we didn't just spend that money anyway? If, if maybe the people in, in the I, I think it's the Commerce Department that actually you know presides over it uh, or handles it. Um, wouldn't it be nice if they had some discretion to be able to say, well, you know, we don't need all this money for this. We're going to spend it over here instead. You know, we have a need over here, so we're, that's how we're going to spend it. Isn't that? I mean, to me, that's that's good reform. That's that's one of the things I think that, that sort of excited me about Burgum's campaign. There were a lot of things I didn't like about his campaign, but one thing I did like about his campaign was talking about not just cutting spending, not just, you know, we're going to move this line item around and that line item around, but actually, like, reforming the way we're governing. And I think giving the executive branch more flexibility to address needs is a part of that reform it's where we need to go i mean especially if, if we're going to make if we're going to make government more efficient if we're going to try to live within our means i i don't think anybody really wants taxes to go up i think even even the liberals in our state even the democrats in our state who are making a lot of noises about taxes going up i think in their heart of hearts don't really want it to go up they just seem to think that's the only solution but it's not there are other solutions and one of those solutions is budget flexibility and an obstacle to getting to that budget flexibility are people going out and trying to score partisan points when we try to implement that flexibility, going out and playing the, the identity politics thing, going out and p- playing the they-hate-poor-people game. I, I mean, I really, the stuff about you know the homeless, it, it really sort of represents everything that's wrong about politics because... Nobody is out there wanting to, to, like, kick homeless people out of shelters. Nobody is out there trying to hurt anybody. What we're trying to do is formulate the government in such a way that it can govern in the most efficient way possible so that we can meet the demands that people place on government, that people want to place on government, while simultaneously not taxing businesses out of the state. Like I said before, you can't just raise taxes to solve problems in North Dakota. Maybe that's an option in New York. Maybe that's an option in California. But those are places that have a lot of things going for them that North Dakota doesn't have, climate and everything else. North Dakota does not have that cachet. And so if we want to attract people to our state, if we want to attract businesses to our state, we've got to keep taxes low. You know, we, we don't even have what, what Minnesota has with Minneapolis. We don't have those things. That's not what North Dakota is. No community in North Dakota is ever going to be like Minneapolis. And so if we want to attract people here, the way to do it is low tax, low regulatory burden, make North Dakota a friendly place to do business. And you know what? It's been working. I have my criticisms of Governor Hoven, Governor Downrimple, even Governor Burgum going all the way back to Governor Ed Schaefer. But you know what? That approach works. North Dakota's been doing pretty well. And the problems we were writing right now have a lot you know, to do with commodity prices more than anything else and the fact that lawmakers overspent. They're just still getting around that. Republicans own that problem.
But outside of that, that's that's where we got to be. Budget flexibility. A nimble, flexible government. That's where we want to go. I, I, I believe that's where Governor Burgum wants to take us. I wish he'd been a little more forceful about that agenda this session. Maybe he felt like the timeline was too short coming in and he's working off another governor's budget. So maybe next session is where he's really going to put a stamp on it. And that's all right. But let's let's not get bogged down in the, the, the partisan mudslinging and the pie throwing. And let's have honest debates about what the legislature's trying to do, which is some good stuff. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. You can always catch me here on WDAY, 1 to 2 p.m., Monday through Friday, or, of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Nateel, thanks. Have a great weekend. You too. Enjoy the weather. I'm Rob Port signing off. We'll talk again.